Hello guys, David Voth here. Wow, it's raining out. <laughs> it's kind of pleasant though. I hear it's going to rain pretty hard here in a few days. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Guys, I want to take another look here at this book of Titus. People don't read the book of Titus all that much. It's a very small book. But I find there's some very interesting information that can be gleaned from this book. Information that I think Probably most Christians have no clue, have never heard, or just don't know. There's a lot of misinformation. I think we're going to learn a few things about Judaism here. What the Apostle Paul really thought about Judaism. <laughs> By the way, kind of killing two birds with one stone. What the Apostle John thought about Judaism as well. And what the Apostle Peter thought about Judaism. If there was any confusion out there that Paul and Peter and John weren't on the same page, we're going to find an exact parallel. We're going to find a direct teaching that coincides in such a way that it would be impossible for these guys to all be on different pages. Now, there may have been times where there were disputes between Peter and Paul, but the Bible is very, very honest and clear about that. The Bible is honest that the Apostle Peter denied the Lord three times. The Bible was very honest and clear that Peter refused to go into the Gentiles and would only eat with um, his fellow Judeans. The Bible does not say, well, Peter was right about that because Peter himself is then taken to Jerusalem for this big uh, meeting this council at, at Jerusalem to answer the question about whether or not Judeans who keep who were zealous for the law were correct or whether Paul was correct. It, it literally says Paul was the, the one that was kind of outspoken, was teaching that we're not under any law. And so James comes to Paul. It tells you all of this and says, what are you doing? And the whole story is given to us there. We know what the dispute is. We know that Paul did not keep the law. And we're going to find out what Paul really thought about, thought about Judaism and where, well, and, and, and some questions that we might have heard before where, like in the book of John, the well, Revelations, which is a book of John, the Apostle John says that there are those who say they are Jews, but are not. And he was specifically speaking to a group of people that the Apostle Paul said were Judeans, but were not the same Judeans as the ones that were at the council in Jerusalem who wanted to be under the law. Well, look at, let me just show you that real quickly. Here in Revelation chapter 3, and he's talking to all these churches up in Asia Minor. And we're going to define who these individuals were that he's talking to. These are Judeans, a type of Judeans. We'll, we'll completely verify that these are Judeans. But notice that there's another group who say they are Judeans, but are not. Who, they, who, who are they? Well, verse 8 says, I know thy works. And this is, he's talking to Philadelphia. And it says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut, for thou hast little strength and hast kept my word. And hast not denied my name. Well, who would be denying the name of Jesus? Would that be Judeans? In all of history, everybody knows the people who don't believe in Christ. In fact, they said when Jesus was crucified and they asked him, do you want to let him go? And they said, no, may his death and his blood be upon us and our children. So it says, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Judeans and are not. They lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. And to know that I have loved thee. Who is it that he loves? The people who are in Christ. That the book of Revelation is written to. Up there in Cappadocia and Galatia and Pontius. And you know in Asia Minor. Up near Crete. As we're going to find out here. They were also considered the true Judeans. As the Apostle Paul says. Who were Judeans in the inside. Not on the outside. Not of the flesh. Circumcised of the flesh. But circumcised on the inside. Spiritual the true Judeans that were 
elect and chosen of the Heavenly Father. Well, we'll get into this here in a minute. But So we're going to find out a lot of different things by taking a look at this. Or at least we can find that out if you're critical with the text and you look at it for what it says and you study it with your eyes kind of open to this information, these little uh, particulars that most people pay don't pay attention to. They sort of gloss over. Because when people read the Bible, like historians could read the Bible or uh, scholars, and they might certainly be able to see because they would study each line and word and detail. But when ordinary average Christians just pick up a Bible and start reading it, because they're not really scholars, they may just read along and not even notice that something was said or what this phrase might mean or the connotation. And they might even find a lot of places that say something that sounded like it said something, but they, hey, that's not what Christianity teaches, so it must not be true, and they just pass it over. But what we're going to find out is that, well, what we've already enumerated, those things, but we're also going to find just how far wrong our Christianity has become, how lacking in understanding. So, and that could only happen because you wouldn't lack any understanding if you were reading this in the first century. You'd know exactly what Paul was talking about, what Peter was talking about, because we'd know and be more familiar with the countries, the peoples, the language. But if you're going to read this 400 years removed, you know, during the apostasy, and trying to regain some knowledge of something that's been stamped out after the apostasy has already occurred. And remember, 400 years after this, most Christians probably didn't even have access to the Bible. If they had a place where they went and taught, like a synagogue type of situation, a church, a place where people congregated and talked about the Bible, they wouldn't have like a Bible-bound in leather, like, like, like we do, like with the old and the new. And by the way, a lot of people do believe. I mean, I, I think I've said it, not really know, realizing what I was saying. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we use this word Bible for the entire Old Testament, New Testament. And we say, well, it's got 66 books. Well, it does today. What we call the Bible has 66 books. But it didn't always have that many books. Before the canon that we have now, there was a different canon by Marcion. There were, uh, we could go into that. It's very interesting because, because Marcion didn't have all of the books that we have in our New Testament. Doesn't mean that he just outright rejected all of them. Just like today, I use my Bible and it doesn't have the Gospel of Philip or, or the Gospel of Truth or Thomas or anything or Mary. And yet, it doesn't mean I don't believe in those Gospels, that I know they're just not bound with the others or maybe if i'm going and, and would you when you bound a bible and you added certain books if you couldn't add them all because there's what millions of them you'd have a book so big what you would do in certain areas you would bound certain books in a canon for that area which wouldn't mean that we'd have to have one book with all of the books that were ever written by every prophet in every part of the world for for maybe, why would we, you know, maybe there were prophets sent to China, India, Africa. Would we have to have them if we were living in Russia? Not necessarily, because maybe the prophets that were sent to Russia were specifically for Russia. And of course, these prophets are all going to talk about some of the same issues and things, but catered to a certain location or region. When Marcion made his canon, it was catered to people in his day. He believed in the Apostle Paul. He was definitely a Christian. And because he believed in Christianity as opposed to Judaism, he did not include any of the Old Testament in his canon, nor did he include some of the other letters that he thought were specifically addressed to other people that didn't live in his region or at for his day or for his, you know, he didn't have, sometimes you just can't carry around all these books that aren't necessarily, that, you know, see, in other words, it wouldn't matter if, if Marcion had only a smaller canon that he didn't believe in all the others. I don't think Marcion, by 
by making a New Testament canon thought that, oh, well, it's not, we shouldn't read the Old Testament. That there, there wasn't esoteric wisdom in there. It's just that it, that was written for, for people before Christ's day. You could refer to it, just like we refer to history books. But the Bible wasn't meant to, to be such a thing where, I mean, yes, in one day the Bible does prophesy that, that the stick of Judah and the stick of Ephraim shall become one in our hand, meaning that not only the Judeans and the books that we have that today, but we'll discover Ephraim and all of the sticks of Ephraim, meaning where he went, the, the, the ten tribes. And we're going to gather them and add them to it. And then one day, there'll be one. But at the present time, the Bible that's considered the Bible today only has 66 books. And that's a symbol of the fact that it's not complete because seven is completion of you know cyclical and come to a rest on the Sabbath, on the seventh. So six would mean that this would be man without the Holy Spirit, man without the, the rest, entering into the rest of the Lord. And, of course, the number of man, 666, it means not evil necessarily, but imperfect, not yet endued or endowed with the Holy Spirit. But also I want to point out that the Bible, that word, the Bible, was never used for the Torah. It was never used for the Old Testament. It is now, okay, but we didn't get our canon and then go around calling it the Bible until hundreds of years after Jesus. So in Jesus' day, they didn't have a Bible that had all 66 books that we have. Certainly, they hadn't even written the New Testament. So we can't go around saying that Jesus believed only in the Bible and the apostles believed, you know, like where it says all scriptures inspired of the divine, beneficial for teaching and reproving and setting matters straight. Jehovah's Witnesses are always using that. So therefore, we only use the Bible because we know it's all scriptures, right? So old and new. That's not what it says. When they said all scripture, they meant all the scripture. And so then, uh, without thinking, a lot of people think, oh, well, then that just means the Torah and probably the, the prophets and stuff, and the writings. To Judaism, yes, to that region. But what, what I'm going to show you here in this video is that the real Judeans, those who say they are but are not, are the ones that Paul says are the circumcised. And they are not because they're following this false teaching, you know, fables and things like this, and genealogies and the law, which Paul didn't believe. The real Judeans were actually, not all over the world, but specifically, at least in one sense, up around Asia Minor. The book of Revelation talks about them as these seven churches in Ephesus and Corinth and all of this. And Peter talks about these same individuals. We'll cover that. And it calls them Judeans, not Israelites. Many people, you can look it up and we'll do that. Calls that area the diaspora. So many people have thought that only, you know, wherever the Judeans, or, or you know, because they don't know that there are 12 tribes and there were different captivities and, and dispersions. So <clears throat> when you say these people are the dispersed of Judea, you're not saying they're dispersed of Israel. Israel was taken north, west, east, and south all over the world, even in the land of Sinem, which is China. So they were in Africa, they were in Russia, they were in India and Japan and, you know, America, everywhere. But Judeans, remember what Paul said, the gospel would go to the Judeans first, afterwards to the Greeks. It doesn't say anything about the Gentiles there. And yet other places it says it would go to the whole world, to the farthest point in the earth, to the other extremity of the world, and to every nation, to all the nations, and every nation, tribe, and tongue. So we have to keep all this in perspective. We're not noticing all of this. But what I'm trying to tell you here is that the word Bible is a modern word. It, that Today it means the book that we have with 66 books. But in Jesus' day, it didn't include the New Testament because they didn't have it. And in China, it didn't include necessarily the Torah because it would have included the Bhagavad Gita in their region, their prophets, because we've already said that Ezekiel, this says this in the Quran, the, the, prophet, the prophet Ezekiel was 
Buddha. And maybe Abraham was the original Zoroaster. Uh, there are two individual prophets that may have been a uh, distinguished today. We think of them as Zoroaster. One of them may, may have been called Mithra. One of them was about 600 BC. That was probably Daniel. The Bible tells us that he went there and became the head of the Zoroastrian religion and, and organized it and defined it the way it is. But it, it really got started 2,000 years be, before Christ, and that was probably Abraham. But we don't know exactly that the identity of Zoroaster doesn't necessarily say in the Bible itself, but we'll get into that in another video that we're going to do because we've got so many things we've got to want to cover eventually. But So all these prophets go went to all the world. As we've said also that Elisha went to this area around Asia Minor, up around Syria, and he became known as Elisha there, and he brought the mysteries. He had a double portion from Elihu, and he took the mysteries, he destroyed Baal worship, because up there was a Baal Beck. And they instituted a new religion on the same spot. Elihu and Elisha defeated Baalism. And they created the mysteries, or the school of the prophets, the mystery school. And they called it after Elisha, or the Elysinian mysteries. And in that Elysinian mysteries, as well as the temple at Artemis and other places, which they called like the temple of Dionysius, who changed the water into wine. That Dia is deity, and Isus, it, it's the same name that Jesus has, Isus. So, the divinity of Isus, that's what Dionysius means. And it, Elisha, Elisha is also the same word. El, Jesus, or Isus is my savior. So it was. It got started, Dionysius, the school at Dionysius, was started, or Dionysius himself was Elisha. So there's a lot of stuff we're going to cover. But the Bible, then, is not the Old Testament in reality for us because we're not under the law. Not that we wouldn't read it or that it wouldn't be interesting to read history books and all kinds of things. But our scriptures today would be the scriptures that we, that our prophets would come to our people and our culture. So modern humans here in America, we follow the, the, the New Testament scriptures. We don't necessarily include the Old Testament in our canon. And yet many people have. So another way of looking at this too is that the word Bible means a collection of books. And since we don't, none of us, no matter where we live, have all of the, the books today, all in one, then when you're talking to somebody who's a Judean, sometimes they will say, oh, they have the only Bible. They don't believe in the New Testament, and they only believe in the Old Testament, and that's their Bible. But that's not really true. I mean, you know, in some sense of the word Bible, if it just means a collection of books, then yeah, that's their collection of books. But it's not the Holy Word that is for us, nor is it for the, the Judeans. Because remember, Jesus went to the Judeans and taught them the gospel, the good news, and his apostles and prophets wrote down what he said. That's the message to all, especially Judeans. So even for Judeans, the Bible is not the Old Testament. It's reference material, but it's not the, the Holy Word that was to be spoken to them. Because Jesus came to the Judeans and later said he was going to go to the Gentiles. And it was that message that comes directly from the Father. And that would be inspired or the Spirit-led apostles and prophets that gave the message of the Lord, not the Old Testament. Not denying that the Lord didn't speak through Moses or the prophets. And you can refer to them and see that they prophesied of this. But if you want the actual teachings of the gospel, you got to go to the New Testament. So, and then, so we're going to find out not only what the Bible is here, but we're going to find out who these Judeans are. And in a way in which you, it's going to blow your mind. So I want to read here in Titus chapter one, where it says in uh, the Bible hub, it, which gives us the interlinear. And I'm going to read it from 
from the interlinear a lot of the time, but we're going to look at specific words. But it says, for now, just to, for time, we're going to look in the English, because it's too hard to read it in the interlinear if we're going to go quickly through some of this, that we already know some of these words and we know what they mean and we're fine with them. So it says, Paul, a bondservant of the divine and an apostle of Jesus Christ. According to the faith of the divine elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with the divineness, in hope of eternal life, which the divine, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word. So, what is the word of the Lord? Is it the Torah? No. It was only manifested at the appointed due time. Who was it manifested to? Well, he just said, the apostles. So he says, and look, look, notice this again, the elect. And who are the elect? All the righteous of all time? Well, there were those who were chosen for specific periods. Those in the days of before the flood weren't chosen for salvation because at that time they were worried about being delivered not from the wrath that's coming but they were being delivered from the flood that was a whole different deal they had different problems in those days it was not specifically talking to the people before the flood or to abraham they were those we can read to see the promises that were made in the past but at the due time at the appointed due time the Lord chose the time, and it was the time when Jesus came. And of course, we're living in a different time now, and that will become apparent as the day of the Lord. The day of when this society is going to become over, and the Lord's kingdom will be established. And this is what we're all looking forward to. So, he says, eternal life, God cannot lie. He promised it before it began. But in the due time has manifested his word. So his word, which is Jesus, and everything that said Jesus said was the word. Remember, everything was made by the word. The, the universe in the book of Hebrews, also written by Paul probably, was manifested through the word, framed by the word. And who was the word? It was Jesus because he was the one speaking. He was, he was literally... The, you know, some people say, well, is Jesus the divine person or is he second? He was created by the Father. He was a, a created being. No, because if the Heavenly Father is eternal, the only divine being, wouldn't he have always had the capacity to speak? So as long as the Heavenly Father existed, he, he had his word, his expression, the creation. Because every time he spoke, he, he imagined. And the word went forth from not just from a certain point, we call the beginning, but in the beginning, which is a word for the infinite, from before time. So the word always existed with the Father, beside the Father. It was not only with and beside the Father, but was divine. And so the divine being consisted of the Father and Jesus' mother, and Jesus, who is the first and only begotten, is the one who inherits the entire universe. So it says, the word, in two things, in two ways, the word was manifested at, a, at the due time, when Jesus came. And that's also when Jesus began to speak the word, which is this, which was promised before in the Old Testament, but now is being delivered and manifested and preached. And this word was committed to me according to the commandment of the divine, our Savior. Here again, it's not the divine Father, but our Savior is the divine. So, um, it, in verse 4 it says, To Titus, a true son in our common faith. Right? Once delivered, the faith, once delivered by the apostles. Not by Moses. And it's the word that teaches us the good news about this faith that was never before delivered. It says, Grace and mercy 
and peace from the divine, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Earlier, one we just read where it says our Savior is the divine one. So, when it says grace and mercy and peace from the divine, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it's saying they're both of that one divinity. In verse 5, for this reason, I left you in Crete. So this is why we're going to be talking about Crete here in just a second. Just to let you know why they're even talking about Crete. They're really going to be talking about Judeans here. Paul's going to be. Just as uh, Revelation, the Apostle John speaks to specifically people up around Crete, up in the Diaspora. Not the Diaspora of Israel, but the Diaspora of the Judeans. So the Judeans were two different ones. They're ones that were down there in Jerusalem that wanted to keep the law and that were uh, trying to get James to understand and Peter. And Peter was having a hard time. And Paul said, no, we're not under that. We're not under their law. And they, and they solved that dispute there in Jerusalem. And those were also Judeans, but they weren't true Judeans because they were of the circumcision. And Paul says, we're not of the circumcision of the flesh. So that's not the true Judeans. We are Judeans on the inside. Well, that's confused a lot of people because they say, well, wait a minute. What about the Israelites? Are we not Israelites on the inside too? Yeah, but Paul wasn't talking about Israelites or the, you know, Ephraim or Naphtali or something or Gad or Asher. He was talking about Judeans. And so those who say they are Judeans but are not, but are the, are the synagogue of Satan, is not specifically talking about all Israelites are the synagogue of Satan, but only these particular Judeans who were the circumcision. And so right now he's talking about Crete because he's talking specifically to Titus, who evidently is up in that area. And he says, you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders. Now remember that word is to point out, not to appoint in some sort of office. In every city as I commanded you. In other words, wherever these Judeans are, because there are no Israelites there, they're Judeans, the southern kingdom, that were dispersed in that area. And all of these individuals like up in Corinth, where Paul later, in the book of Corinthians, says, our fathers were baptized into Moses. We were all standing there at Mount Sinai. Why? Because the people up in Corinth were Judeans. The people in Crete were Judeans. And just like in ancient times, we have to, to have a community, right? Uh, a family is born. The children ought to honor their mother and father. They ought to honor their elders. Do they appoint dad as father? We're going to have a convene a council here and appoint this woman as the elder woman and the daddy as the... No, they're already elders by virtue of them being older. That's what the word means. And so, if a person's older, but yet they're a fool, we wouldn't listen to them, would we? So he says, listen to the ones who are older and wiser. Now, how do you know if they're an older person? Not just physically, but spiritually older, more mature, and someone you would follow. Well, they would have to be blameless, a husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop, now what is that word bishop mean? Let's take a look. We'll have to go ahead and do the interlinear so we can go down here and see what this word Okay, this word that they translate bishop is the episcophon and they're translating it here overseer. Let's take a look at what that word actually is. It says a superintendent an overseer Used as an official title in civil life. Overseer, supervisor, ruler. Especially used with reference to the supervising function exercised by an elder or a presbyter of a church or congregation. Well, now that's what they would say, wouldn't it? Because that's what they base Christianity on. But the actual meaning of the word is just somebody who supervises. 
In other words, somebody you're going to listen to and who's going to organize the, the family. Like, so your father and mother organizes the children. Again, you don't appoint your mother and your father. That's why the Bible says, call no man your father. Well, what does that mean? I can't call my own daddy father? No, we can call people fathers. The Apostle Paul says, I become your father in Christ. But he wasn't appointed to the office of father. Neither was he appointed to the office of apostle. The Lord simply sent forth Paul. The Lord simply sent forth Peter. They were sent forth. That's all it meant. It's not an office. Now, when the congregation later on lost Judas, they had to replace this particular was it an office? No. But there were, certainly, there actually is 12 tribes. And each of the tribe needs an, someone sent to them. Right? So the apostles decided, said, oh, Lord, who do you send? So in that sense, it's an office. But it's not an office that men decide. See, men didn't decide who the overseers were, who the apostles were. They're, they're simply pointed out. The Lord decides who is elder and wiser and mature by their destiny. We just notice what the Lord decides. So we use by Holy Spirit, we, we, we're guided by the Holy Spirit to see what the Lord's already done and what he's chosen. So I'm not saying that we don't have supervisors, that we don't have organizers, that there aren't people. I mean, everyone has his own work. Everyone has his own gift. As a community, we're all one. And we operate together out of love, not out of an office, not out of the rules. We don't have another law book that appoints people as rulers. None of these individuals were appointed as rulers. That's why they had to be loving and honest and true. We have to trust these individuals. We have to know that the Holy Spirit is upon them. The Holy Spirit being upon them meant that they were loving and kind and gentle and self-controlled and wise. And we could see that wisdom and we could they could demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul says, notice that I am an apostle. A lot of them didn't agree that he had been sent to the Gentiles as an apostle sent forth by Jesus. He says, my apostleship is manifest to all of you because didn't I do more miracles than all of them? In other words, by virtue of the miracles themselves, you can see that the Holy Spirit's working through me. So yes, it was the Lord who appointed Paul as an apostle, as one sent forth. And it's the Lord that appoints elders or, well, elders again is just the older ones. But if you're going to take one of these elders and kind of send him on a mission to go to a town to organize some effort or to feed the poor or to, because some of these individuals weren't necessarily like, oh, well, they're an elder, so therefore whatever they say, we do it. Jesus brought the gospel, not Paul. Even Peter, who, who ended up realizing that he was teaching something against what Jesus wanted him to say, Peter didn't understand he was supposed to go to the Gentiles, so he was wrong. As humans, they're wrong. We don't follow Peter. In the first book of Corinthians, Paul says we don't follow Peter, we don't follow Paul, and we don't follow Apollos. We only follow Jesus. So Jesus appoints those to be sent forth by giving each one of us certain gifts. So, in your life, it may be that you are very talented as a speaker and you can give great orations and you people can notice that the Holy Spirit's upon you. You don't need somebody to, to appoint you. You simply go out and you start doing what the Lord gave you as that gift. And others around you recognize it and they follow you because they follow the Holy Spirit, not because they're following you. They don't appoint you. They don't lift you up on a pedestal. You don't become a ruler. You're not down, written down in a book as the greatest. Jesus told us over and over again, have no man, you know, be appointed to you be your greatest or the greatest of you shall be your servant. So, anyway, let's go back then. So it says that somebody's a supervisor should also be blameless. Why would we, why would they have to be blameless? So that we would know that the Holy Spirit's upon them. If they were a uh, an evil, wicked pedophile, does that mean that we would follow them? No. We would see the Holy Spirit's not upon them. They haven't, the Holy Spirit has not taught them wisdom. 
Does that mean we condemn somebody? Jesus never condemned people, but he certainly we certainly wouldn't go out and follow people and say, oh, look, the Holy Spirit's guiding the congregation by this wicked person. So, blameless to be as the divine steward. See, we're following the Lord, but this man was appointed by the Lord to be the steward. Not self-willed, not a man who's self-made or self-willed, right, who's got a pedigree, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not a striker. Well, what is a striker? Probably somebody who's angry and beats people or whatever, I guess. Given to wine, does it mean he can never drink any wine? Well, probably not. Probably means someone who is given to wine in the sense that they are controlled by the wine. Not a greedy person of base gain. Well, that, that rules out any of our modern pastors and stuff like this. They're all making a living, you know, living in these plush homes. And the, a lot of the people in their church don't even have enough money to buy a, an apartment. They're homeless, right, coming in there. And this pastor, he's got this lavish home and he's making millions of dollars off this flock. He's fleecing the flock. That would not be according to the scriptures. So, scripturally, we would not follow someone like Olstein. Right? Nothing against him as a human being. The Lord is his judge. I'm not his judge. But we know that whatever he's doing with his little mega church, that's not of the Lord. The Holy Spirit's not upon that operation because the man has not been shown by the Holy Spirit to be somebody that's humble, but he's greedy. Okay, but hospitable, meaning somebody that would open up their home and let you live in their home. They were like, oh, no, no, I don't need a home. Paul was beaten and, and you know, shipwrecked and homeless and left for dead. I mean, he didn't live in some plush. They didn't have a big church and they, oh, look, we're going to have this build this big house out back for Paul. We're going to give Paul a brand new car. Even Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they, they got these ministers that travel and they give them cars and nice places to live and, you know, hold them up in motels and stuff when they have to go places. And they, they live a pretty lavish lifestyle. A lover of good, self-controlled. Well, if somebody like Jimmy Swaggart commits adultery or something, does that mean he's not a Christian? Does that mean that, you know, he's just a human. Everybody makes mistakes. But we wouldn't follow him and let him be the leader because he doesn't have self-control. So the Holy Spirit's not upon him. The Holy Spirit will identify those that he's using. Upright, holy, what does that mean, holy? How is one man holy and another person's not holy? Because that word doesn't mean what we think it means in English. It means to be set apart. It just means that you're dedicated to a particular things. So if you're dedicated to preaching the gospel, that's how we know that the Holy Spirit's upon you. But if you're out running around doing crazy stuff in the world and you're not, you know, it's only a part-time thing that you're you're teaching the gospel, then you're not wholly separated that's what it means to be holy, completely dedicated. So I see so many people like Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll go out and they'll spend part time doing the, the service and teaching people. But there might be like, I was disfellowshipped by the president of AT&T. A lot of the elders are very rich people. They're actually dedicated, not to the Lord, but only partially. They're not holy because they're not set apart and dedicated to that. I hear a lot of people think that dedication just means Oh, when I was young, I believed in the Lord and I dedicated myself to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means that I told the Lord that I would always serve him. Well, all Christians should serve the Lord. We're all supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. But some people say, well, you know, I'm going to be a, a, a builder or, uh, you know, a musician. You know, I, I, yeah, I like m music. So I spend some time in music. I spend some time in as a concrete layer or uh, uh, a financial advisor. You know, I've got to make a living. No, 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 no. Those who are dedicated to the Lord, wholly, completely dedicated to the Lord, don't work some other job. They get out of the world completely. They're not in the world with one foot thinking, well, the Lord uh, won't protect me and, you know, financially won't help me. So I've got to make a living, Dave, you know. 
and I'll spend a little time over here. No, 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 no. You may have to do, if you're going to be really dedicated, you're going to be like Elihu, who lived in the wilderness. He had no one, no one to feed him. He had no food, but some widow fed him. That's what it means to be holy. Set apart completely to do the... Now, I hear a lot of people saying, Dave, why don't you just go out and get a job? All I, I'll always, I am dedicated to doing this. I'll never stop. Don't worry. As long as I have breath, I'm going to continue to teach and share it with you. I feel completely and wholly dedicated to doing this. And therefore, for years, I have not worked in the secular world. I haven't pursued anything worldly. And so, I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying that's what it means to be dedicated. I, I have, If I am truly believing in this teachings, and I believe the Lord wants me to share with you what he shares with me, then I certainly have to depend wholly and completely upon him for whatever financial assistance that I need. Now, I don't necessarily need anything financial. right? I don't need a big house. I don't need a big car. I mean, nothing. You see? But my truck was kind of given to me by, by my daughter. I don't have the money to pay for it. But my daughter said, that's okay. You need it. Okay, so I even said, tried to talk her out of it. Because I, I didn't want her to be burdened with that. But she said that the Lord had blessed her with this certain you know money and she wanted to give it to me because she loved me. And it you know took a little coercion, but I, I did it. Because I realized that what the Lord provides by his own direction and guidance is something we should accept. Now, it doesn't give me a lot of luxury. I don't, have, I don't live in any luxury. I have a very small cabin here and I'm going now to go and live in New Mexico on some raw land. And uh, so that's what that means to be holy and disciplined. So if you know somebody who preaches the gospel, but they're not very disciplined, right? Or maybe they're also um, a gambler. There's nothing wrong with, you know, whatever you want to do with your own money. I mean, if you want to give 50 cents and hope you get a dollar, that's your business, right? But to be disciplined means to be very serious and able to turn down other opportunities of becoming rich or, or whatever. We certainly, to discipline ourselves means that we, perhaps we fast and pray a lot and seek the Lord only. It says, holding to the, according to the teaching, faithful word. We don't see the Holy Spirit giving that person this, this knowledge, because knowledge is a gift from the Holy Spirit. They don't have this knowledge, then they're probably not, the Holy Spirit hasn't given them the knowledge, then, then, then perhaps they're not really this awoken person who's somebody we would want to teach. So, faithful word that able he may be both to encourage with teaching. So whatever teachings he has, he certainly must be able to encourage others. He must have that good news. If he's teaching some other thing that's not the good news, that doesn't mean that anyone, you know, anyone, even the Apostle Paul, could make a mistake or something. Or or like the Apostle Peter, who made a, 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 an error in his idea about going to the Gentiles because the Holy Spirit was revealing it to him. But it doesn't mean that we're any of us know everything. That's not what we're saying. It just means you can see the Holy Spirit upon that person, guiding and directing him, and he's sufficiently clear on the essentials of the truth so that he can teach the good news. If he wasn't teaching the good news or he was teaching another Jesus, he certainly wouldn't follow after their teachings or be supervised or organized by any particular person. The church, the congregation, the people in the community of the Lord wouldn't follow after people like that. Teaching sound and those contradicting it to convict. So they have to have the sound teaching so they can contradict it that's what their translation is i think in in english we would say somebody who's able to expose the lies that's being taught by other false teachers so it says in verse 10 there are for many also insubordinate empty talkers you've got if you've got the holy spirit yourself you'll know who is an empty talker you'll know who is teaching the sound counsel who's able to contradict or 
expose the liars. You'll know that. But if you don't know, then you probably don't have the Holy Spirit yourself. See, the whole congregation is supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But each one in the congregation has his own particular job that the Holy Spirit's giving them certain gifts. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I, I'm happy that I have more gifts than all of you. Apostles, it seems, were apostles because they had a lot of these gifts. They had most, they had all of them. If you were somebody who was sent forth to the entire particular nation or people that you were sent forth to, to give them the gospel and the good news, then obviously the Holy Spirit would have enlightened you to most of all of these truths. And so we have to be following people who are not empty talkers. And we have to have the Holy Spirit to know and distinguish that. And we don't want to follow deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So now why is it that we we wouldn't follow with deceivers, of course, right? But especially, see what it says there, especially those of the circumcision. Now he's not saying Judeans. Okay, this isn't some kind of racist book. Talking about particular people that are of a particular religion that happen to have a nation called the Judeans and they followed after a certain religion. But there were other Judeans that weren't in that religion up in Asia Minor. And Crete is one of the places we're talking about here with Titus. And it says, so those of the circumcision are especially deceivers. And it says, those of the circumcision who are deceivers, it is to them whom it is necessary to silence. Remember, we already said that somebody who's a, a supervisor, somebody we're going to look to to organize the work, acknowledging the Holy Spirit on their life and follow them to teach this good news. Um, we have to make sure that that person is able to expose the liars. And for those who are doing the lying, the deceivers, those who are the circumcised, in Paul's day, and in this particular uh, book he's writing to Crete, where Titus was, he's saying we have to silence them. So that's one of the things that a true Christian who is dedicated and holy, who is an overseer, should be doing. Silencing those Judeans. And, you know, I honestly don't find too many people out there doing that. I have found recently a few that are beginning to understand this. But this is something, this work is going to obviously have to be done. I think it's beginning now. Some of us are learning this and we're going to go out and silence these Judeans because we're not under this law. We're under grace. And it says, whom it is necessary to silence who whole households overthrow. Who's overthrowing whole households? Sounds like Job's witnesses. They go in, you know, uh, this is another verse where it says that uh, they traverse land and sea to make a proselyte and make him twofold child of hell. That's what Jesus said. Well, Paul's saying the same thing. They're overthrowing households. Why? With this deception. We must silence them. We must stop this. Paul was very brave and he spoke right to their face, even to the priest Ananias. He said, you know, may the Lord rebuke you. And he silenced him. Teaching the things that not ought base gain. Well, we, we saw that base gain before. They're, they're greedy. They're teaching not for this truth, but for base gain. And they not, they, they shouldn't be doing that. It's not, they not, ought not to be. For the sake of base gain. That's what this is here. See, we're reading this in a different language. So the, the grammar is not exactly the same. But if we were to read this in English, it would say, they overthrow whole households teaching things that they're not supposed to teach for the sake of base gain. And then it says, said one of them, their own, one of their own, what does that mean? Who, who, one of them, who? One of these ones we've got to silence, one of these Judeans teaching the circumcision that Paul is identified as the circumcision. And who are they? Well, they're Judeans, but they're of that law, they're of the circumcised. They're not really Judeans, not on the inside. It says, one of them, one of their own, a prophet, 
said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts. Now, why is he saying Cretans? Because that's a particular country up in Crete, you know, the country of Crete. Well, this is another indication. It's what we were going to say is that he's not talking to them as though they are Cretans or from Crete, but as though they are Judeans. Why? Because there is another group of Judeans that are up in there and it calls them the ones who are dispersed. Now, what does that mean? The ones who are scattered about. And we'll see that here in a little bit. It says they're always liars and they're evil beasts. Well, of a lower carnal nature, right? Because they're following carnal laws. And they're lying and we've got to silence them. What are they lying about? The grace of the Lord Jesus. They're gluttons, they're lazy. And the testimony, this is true. This testimony is true is what this is saying. For which cause, rebuke them severely. I have a lot of people saying, David, you you know, you're, you're being a little... Uh, harsh on people, right? Well, friends, I try not to be. But I must follow the Lord's advice and the Apostle Paul, who I believe was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I listen to his counsel because it's the same counsel that Peter gave, the same counsel that John gave, and the same, certainly, the same counsel that Jesus gave. We must rebuke them, and not just slightly, but severely. Because those who teach this law yeah, I'm talking to you, those of you in Judeo-Christianity, which is not what the apostles of the Lord taught. They didn't teach Judeo-Christianity. You're following a lie. And I must severely silence and rebuke that message and those that are teaching that message so that they may be sound in the faith and not giving heed to what? Judeakos. 2451. Judeakos. Which is the Judeans. Don't give heed to their myths. So we were talking about whether the Old Testament's really part of the scriptures. Well, there are certainly prophets in the Old Testament that were giving fine counsel. What about the prophets? Weren't they giving fine counsel? It was prophets of Israel. So uh, we call it the Old Testament. We put together the Torah and the prophets and the writings. But what I'm talking about is the Torah is not necessarily fine counsel and prophets of Yahweh. But they weren't Judeans. They were the prophets of Israel, like Elihu and Moses, who was also a prophet unto all of Israel. But certain Judeans who follow only this carnal commandment, they follow myths. They teach falsely that there was a worldwide flood only 4,000 BC or 3,500 BC. There was this big flood and destroyed everybody. And with some local, with some literal destruction of the world. Well, how could that be? The Bible says he created the earth to be inhabited forever. But the world that then was, was destroyed by water. How was it destroyed? Simply the wickedness was in the earth. It was a cleansing. And now the earth is being reserved unto fire. Why? To go and get the little tiny elements, the spirits, that uphold this physical structure, this society. And the elements being intensely hot will melt and be dissolved. So it will be a purification. You throw your silver and your gold into the fire and it comes out pure. So the water is a cleansing of the outer material fleshly nature. But the fire burns all the way to the core and purifies us in our heart. So we wouldn't follow these Judean myths. We wouldn't take the whole Old Testament completely literally. Doesn't mean there aren't literal, like we said the other day. Jesus was real and he spoke about things that are parabolic. So what he said was parabolic, but Jesus isn't a parable. The apostles aren't a parable. They're historical figures. We have to be very careful to rightly divide the word. And so it says that they are given to Judean myths 
and the commandments of men. Well, I thought Judeans worshipped the command, you know, the commandments of Yahweh, or believed in the commandments of Yahweh, not the commandments of men. Well, evidently, according to the Apostle Paul, they are the commandments of men. They are not of the divine source. So they are turning away the truth. I know it's a little difficult reading this in this particular format, but we want to get the exact meaning of this verse to understand what Paul's talking about. So it says, all things are pure to the pure. So what does he mean by the commandments of men? Is he talking about the commandments of Moses? Well, yeah, because he says all things are pure to the pure. Why is he saying that? Well, because in the law of Moses, there's all these commandments about don't touch this, don't handle that, right? Don't eat that. Got to be baptized or you, you're impure, right? Don't, don't eat with the Gentiles. They're unclean. But no, they're not unclean. The law's wrong. They're seducing people. They're lying. Because to someone who's pure, all things are pure. To those, however, being defiled, who are those who are defiled? Those who believe that certain things in the world are defiled, that we've got to be under some law. Those who are deceiving. Those we need to rebuke and silence. Those are the ones that are being defiled. And they are the unbelieving. What are they not believing? They're not believing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom, which is above. So, to those being defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Instead, they are defiled. They're both their mind and their conscience. The divine they profess to know. And who's professing to know? Just people who follow commandments of men? No. People who follow the commandments of Moses, the Judeans, they profess to know. However, their works deny him. Right? They have anger and war and hate. And by that, they deny the Lord who bought us, who is love. And their works, they deny him, detestable being, so their works are detestable. The religion of Judaism is detestable, friends. You can't say, well, you know, I prefer it. I think maybe it's all right. I'll, I'll just teach a little law. Maybe I, I kind of like keeping the Sabbath. That's detestable to teach people these lies, to tell people that they are they got to do something to have an eternal life. That their Heavenly Father doesn't love them just as they are. And disobedient and for any work good unfit. Well, anyway. I'm going to stop there. But I want to show you now. Going back here to the actual English. Let me show you something here. Who is it that the Apostle Paul is talking about? Judeans up in Crete. Well, let's take a look at something. In... 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, let me get the whole... This is the New King James Version. 1 Peter 1. It says, Greeting to the elect pilgrims. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds just like what Paul would say, huh? Maybe they're on the same page here. It says, To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia. Now, by the way, Today we have this word Asia and it means all of, uh, you know, like China and stuff. It didn't mean that there. In those days, that was a district of Rome, a Roman district. And it's basically what we consider today Turkey and up and around Syria. It was called Asia Minor. Today we call it that. Asia Minor because they called it Asia then. But to distinguish it today from the Asia that we have today all the way to China... We call it Asia Minor. But, so Asia was a district, just like Cappadocia, Galatia, Pontus, and Bithynia. All of that is the area up around Greece and uh, the Ottoman Empire and uh, uh, Syria and that area. So he's talking to a specific place of a dispersion. But remember, these aren't all the Israelites, but they are individuals that are scattered from what from the the dispersion of judea because there was two different ones there was another ones that would disperse the israelites and they went into all the world east west north and south 
So the elect, according to the foreknowledge of the divine, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the divine and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in the heaven for you who are kept by the power of the divine through faith for salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last time or the last days, which is the time that we're living in. Peter didn't consider it at that time to be the last days because he says it's ready to be revealed when the last days comes and that's the days that we're living in so it says in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ so here again is this fire notice that it's because of the grievous trials that you're being tested by fire. So the trials themselves are the what this fire symbolizes. It's the, the suffering in life that is cleansing us. And so this great tribulation that we're about to go through is also the fire that's coming that's going to cleanse us. And it will be a great tribulation and suffering. But it's not talking about literal fire. So, the revelation of Jesus Christ is that great revealing that happens right after the revealing of the Son of Destruction. Because the apostasy must come first, the Apostle Paul says. So they're on the same page with all of this information. It's going to be revealed. And Jesus will also be revealed to all the world. So though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with Joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith and the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. Isn't this what we just got through reading? That Paul was teaching Titus and, and, the, and the Judeans that were up in Crete. And now Peter's teaching the same exact teaching to the same area up around Cappadocia and Pontus and all of this area. Remember what we just said. The elect, according to the foreknowledge of the divine, in the dispersion, which is Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's where Crete was. So, both Peter and Paul were writing these letters, and John did too, and we'll see that here in a second. Let me show you that. So, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which the divine gave unto him, to show unto his servants things that much shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of the divine one and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him who is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits. And then it goes on to talk about who these seven churches or these seven congregations were. You got Patmos and Philadelphia and Smyrna and, and all of these places. All the same area that Peter wrote his letter to and the same area that, that Paul preached to. And they all said that these are the Judeans. And this is why in the book of John, and we can read that down here it says that they say they are Judeans, but are not. And who are they? They're the ones that are circumcised, as Paul says. So, I see that we are definitely about to the end of our discussion today. We've gone about an hour. And I think that we have covered just about 
most of what I wanted to share with you today. And I think we'll close it there. I think this is really enlightening. I think it helps us to understand that Israel is 12 tribes and that the people that were up in this area, up in the Greece area, in Cappadocia and Asia Minor, were Judeans. And as we've said, how did they become Judeans? How did they get there? Well, we've seen in history that Troy and Rome and all of this area were children of Judah through Zerah. And Zerah had a child named Danus. And these individuals went up into Greece and Troy and then all the way to Ireland. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and go, guys. I hope you have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.